0: Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check
1: out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Let's
0: pray before we get into the word of God. Almighty God, your word is powerful. And Lord, so many of us have experienced the life-changing nature of your word. Lord, the way that it is able to divide between the thoughts and the intents of our heart, Lord, you are able to get to the bottom of our thinking and our emotions, so Lord, uh, and our motivations. So God, we just really want to surrender ourselves to that now. I pray for anyone who maybe isn't used to hearing from the Word of God, Lord, that uh, you would just bring them into a place of um, ease and comfort, and Lord, that they would be open to you, Holy Spirit, to quicken whatever they need to hear. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen. Amen. Well, two Thessalonians, no one, I do it every single week. One Thessalonians, we're in chapter four. And we've got one more week in one Thessalonians before next week we head into two Thessalonians. And so um, we're reading from verse 13 and the heading in my Bible and maybe yours is the hope of the resurrection, the hope of the resurrection. So something that we haven't yet pointed out is that the resurrection is the major theme of this letter. Or or sorry, the second coming of Christ is at least a major theme, if not the major theme. Every single chapter contains one reference, at least, to the parousia or the the second coming of Christ. And um, so looking at verse 13, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. So, every single thing that we read in this uh, letter, we have to assume is addressing something that happened to them at the time. And so, um, as Pastor Andrew continually points out, I feel like he's just amazed at um, what happened here, is that this church is established in three weeks and then flourishing and thriving um, even after Paul's hunted out, even after the leader goes. Can you imagine? You know, a leader changes a church and half the people like there's this is shifting and changing. Here in Thessalonians, the leader's gone after three weeks and they all just knuckle down and get together and keep going. And uh, and so uh, Timo's brought back the good report. Timothy's brought back the good report to Paul and Paul's stoked But he, like any good leader, has said, hey, Timo, are they struggling with anything? And Tim said, you know, actually, yes, you know, we're all believing for the second coming of Christ. But but Paul, some people have died. And so people are now like, well, what's supposed to happen? They all expected Jesus to come back really, really quickly after they heard the news. And last week we talked about the fact that Paul said, go get a job. And yes, he was referring to the client-patron relationship of Rome. We talked about that last week. Listen to the podcast if you want to know more about that. But also, they were expecting the second coming of Christ. So they're like, what's the point in getting a job? Let's just tell people about Jesus. Like, let's just get out there and and, and spread the news. And let's just be with each other and and withstand this. There's no point going and getting a job. He could come back tonight. And there's an element of that that we need to recapture in our Western world where we're just resting on our laurels and really happy with the way that things are and, and only thinking about death when a pandemic comes. We need to get to that place where we're like, Jesus could come back at any moment. And so, um, so but one of the things is people have died, so Paul's going to comfort them now. And, uh, and this, this passage gets read out at so many funerals. Um, can you raise your hand for me if you've been to the funeral of a believer? Has anyone been to the funeral of a believer? And has anyone been to the funeral of someone who just fully didn't believe 100%? Who would say that there is a really big difference between those two funerals? Um, I remember the first funeral that I ever went to was Mr. Laleva's. Uh He was our nearest neighbour. He lived five k's away. And um, and he used to tell me that... Um, that if he was selling potty lambs, he'd put a picture of me on there because I was a fat little kid. (laughs) um, And uh, I loved Mr. Laleva. He shook his hand. He had three fingers missing. It was really awkward. Um, But he was a beautiful farming man. And I remember going to his funeral, and it was a worship celebration service, more triumphant than any church service that I'd ever been to. His kids were lined up, and they were just praising God because they had a hope of where he was. And, uh, and, and they, they gave a salvation call. They preached the gospel and they said, hey, you can have this hope as well. And so Paul's about to share this hope as well. Verse 14, it says, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Now, I don't know what that conjures up for you. You know, for a lot of time, Christians wouldn't get cremated or they wondered what would happen to them if they did because if God's going to bring back the believers who have died, is this like a Pirates of the Caribbean situation of the undead, of, you know, the teeth and everything like that? Like, it could be really scary. Um, But but actually... Uh, It says in another letter, oh, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. Okay, so, um, but firstly, just to address that Jesus died and was raised to life, Paul puts it in another letter and says that Jesus was the firstborn of all who would rise again. Now, that's significant because in ancient times, in the ancient Jewish culture, the firstborn got the judgment. The firstborn got the judgment. The firstborn was responsible. Any firstborns who have always felt that kind of responsibility for their family, just felt super responsible. I know our daughter, Bella, you know, when a, a prophet came to town, he said to her, you need to stop feeling so responsible. And then Lockie and Kate, of course, told her for the next four months, you're not responsible, Bella. Um, thanks, guys. Uh, okay, so, but the, but Reuben, you remember the story, we've just been through Genesis. A lot of the time, it's the firstborn who is mentioned because Reuben, when Joseph gets through into the pit when um, David Moore preached about Joseph, Reuben's the one who said, "Hey, hey, let's not kill him. Like, let's because he secretly hoped that he'd come back and get him later." That's the firstborn responsibility. He knew that he would be held particularly responsible. Um, we remember the story of Tamar and Judah, and Tamar uh, was being married to subsequent sons, and and both sons had died, so Judah didn't want to marry her to another one because the firstborn son had to take responsibility for the widow, whoever was the nextborn. You only had firstborn and second borns any third borns fourth borns fifth borns here any of those you're just second born it's just first born and second borns and a number of second borns and so that's significant and that's why Nicodemus um you remember well no you probably don't but Nicodemus was a guy in the Bible a Pharisee and and Jesus said to him you have to be born again and Nicodemus was a Pharisee so he would have been a first born son and he's like how do I be born again How can I possibly be born again? He took it very literally because he knew the responsibility of a firstborn. If he was going to get born again, he'd be a secondborn. And the responsibility would come off his shoulders. And so Jesus, the firstborn of all who would rise again, is he took our judgment. And all the secondborns get mercy all of us are the second borns and we get messy. So Jesus took the penalty of death upon himself. And, and, and it says here, it says, since we believe that Jesus died, now that's significant because in your version it might say, because it certainly does in the Greek, you want to know what will happen to the believers who have fallen asleep. Because... In pagan world, in Jewish world, but definitely in Christian world, there was this idea that people who had died had fallen asleep. But Paul wants to make certain that we all know, no, Jesus died because he died and he rose again. He conquered death, hell and the grave. He is no longer dead. Death did not win. Christ didn't fall asleep for us. Christ died for us. And verse 15, he says, We tell you this directly from the Lord. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. So those who are dead will rise first, that means. Now, it says we tell you this directly from the Lord. You will find nowhere in the Bible where Jesus actually said that. Um, and and the Bible also says in Acts, for the Lord says it is more blessed to give than receive. You won't find anywhere where Jesus says that either. Um, does that mean that Jesus didn't say it? Of course not. John says, if I were to write everything down that Jesus said, we wouldn't have books in all the world to fill it. And so Jesus clearly said some stuff that aren't recorded in the Gospels. And, there's, and if you're like, well, if, if it's not recorded in the Gospels, I'm not going to believe it. Okay. I encourage you to talk to these people who were dipped in tar and set a light because they so believed in this word. And uh, I would like your conviction to hold up against this. Side note. Okay. Verse 16. For the Lord will come down from heaven with three things, a commanding shout, with the voice of the Archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves, then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So, encourage each other with these words. Okay, so there's this idea of a reunion. Similar to the story of the prodigal father, where he comes down and we meet him in the air. There's this beautiful idea. Is he going to come back down to earth? Is it premillennialism, amillennialism, postmillennialism? I can't even say the word, <laughs> to, let alone tell you what it means. I don't know. And, you know, I'm just going to wait and see. I trust God, I'm in Christ. So however all this works, I know he's got me and I'm gonna be okay. And that's the assurance that any single person can have, that they're gonna be okay if they're in Christ. Now, um, 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says, in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and we will all be changed. So for those of you that are wondering, what if I'm cremated? Um, Are there gonna be Pirates of the Caribbean people going up to Jesus no it's all we're all going to be changed in the instant in a twinkling of an eye we'll have incorruptible bodies our flesh is corruptible can I get an amen did anyone find it hard to tie their shoes this morning hallelujah okay um all right um lucky had this dream at footy camp and uh like usually when lucky says I had this cool dream last night just like, oh, all right, get ready. There's going to be a lot of violence. There's going to be, he's going to have killed a lot of people. But literally, he got in the car after footy camp and he, he was like buzzing. He's like, oh, I had this dream last night. And we were like, what was it, mate? And he said, we're in Port Macquarie and we're down on the beach. And, um, and it was like all the kids from kind of um, state conference there. And, and he said, and all of a sudden there was like this flash of light from the sky and we all saw it. And it was, and he said, and I just like, was like, oh, is it happening and, and he said, and then there was like this this um this figure on the hill, on the on the cliff top, and and it was ba- like had light all around it. And Kate said, Oh, like Ben 10. And Locke goes, yeah, exactly like Ben 10. And and he said, and I'm like, it's happening, it's happening. And and I turned and went, Oh, and he said, and Zach was there, and Zach went, oh. It's happening, and, and we we're all like, Yeah! And, we, and somehow we just knew that Jesus had come back. And he said, The only sad thing was that there were some people that were like, oh, It's happening. And he said, But we were like, Yes, it's happening. And and just the joy I, I it was like two years ago in this 14-year-old boy of yes, Jesus is coming back. That's the hope that Paul's trying to instill here in this passage. He's like, This is happening, guys, and it's gonna be great, and you don't need to worry, and you don't need to fear about it. Now, good thing he writes because 20 years later a whole lot of people have died since that time and they need this hope and we have this hope chapter 5 verse 1 now concerning how and when all this will happen dear brothers and sisters we really don't really need to write you for you know quite well that in the day of the Lord's return it will come quite unexpectedly like a thief in the night um we drove away from our house yesterday and I said oh the door's locked and I said Who's going to come now? We don't need to lock the door now. I'm from a farm. We never, ever locked a door. And uh, Daz always, always locks the door. And he's like, Brian, that is not, that is not good logic that thieves only come at night. I'm like, it says in the Bible that the thief comes at night. And, um, and I remember that um, Christelle and, and some of the location pastors and, and Candy and I went on this retreat. We had to draw a house, a tree and a person. Um, it was like an art therapy thing. It was so awesome. And, and one of the questions was asked, do people come at night? And Christelle looked at Ruth and said are they thieves? And it's like the only reason she thought that someone would come at night would be if they were to rob the house from where she lived in Rwanda. And, uh, and so the question was, are they thieves? Because thieves will come and surprise you in the night. It says, verse 3, When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them. So as much as there is joy for a lot of people, it's disaster for a lot of other people. Will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labour pains begin and there will be no escape. If you want to ask about... Pregnant women's labour pains. Mitch is an expert on that. and He'll help you out there. Okay. Um, There will be no escape, it says. There will be no escape. Um, Now, in a couple of weeks, because 2 Thessalonians talks about H-E, double hockey sticks. And um, that's hell. That's how you spell hell. Um, Okay. So, in a couple of weeks, 2 Thessalonians talks about that. And and I'm I'm pumped to hear that preach. I'm not preaching it. I'm really thankful for that as well. But I'm pumped to hear it because a lot of what I hear about now is about no hell and about how, um, you know, anything but hell. And so I'm really keen to hear that. Because I want to challenge, I want to know what challenges everything else that I'm hearing from progressives and conservatives alike. So I want to hear from the Word of God uh, what else is it? So I encourage you to be here in a couple of weeks as well to hear about that. Um, verse 5, For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard. Not asleep like the others, stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armour of faith in love and wearing as our helmet the confidence of salvation. There's a lot there. I'll just read the last couple of verses. It says, For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour His anger out on us. So if you're wondering where is God up to in all of this? God has constantly been working for salvation. God has constantly been working to the end to not pour out His anger on us. If you don't want to know what God's like, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out His anger on us. That's His goal. It's how we respond to that love and that chase down, that charge down. Verse 10, Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when He returns, We can live with Him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing with these words. He's like, Timmy told me, you're good, guys. Keep doing it. Keep going, friends. Keep going and encourage each other with those words.
1: Uh, Well, we've just heard Pastor Brian explain that Jesus will return that his judgment is coming that every one of us will be held to account and so then the question that I have that I want to wrestle with this morning is how should we live in this very broken uncertain world with that in mind how should we live So I'm going to circle back to one section of the passage that Bron um, read to you and um, reread it to you as Eugene Peterson paraphrased it, just so we can hear it fresh as I pick it to pieces. Um, Chapter 5, verses 4 to 10. Your sons of light daughters of day. We live under wide open skies and know where we stand. So let's not sleepwalk through life like those others. Let's keep our eyes open and be smart. People sleep at night and get drunk at night, but not us. Since we're creatures of the day, let's act like it. Walk out into the daylight sober, dressed up in faith, love, and the hope of salvation. God didn't set us up for an angry rejection, but for salvation by our master, Jesus Christ. He died for us a death that triggered life. It's almost poetic, isn't it? I like it. But when we ask ourselves, how should we live in light of the knowledge that Jesus will return and the day of the Lord is coming and it will come upon us like a thief in the night, or even that our world is just so crazy and unpredictable that we cannot take for granted our very next breath? How then shall we live? Paul actually sees some answers for us to that question in this passage He says, so let's not sleepwalk through life like those others Let's keep our eyes open and be smart The NIV says, um, stay alert and be sober Alert, awake, actively giving our attention to something Is this sense of awake in this passage Not surprised, but anticipating and actually looking for it Not just going about life as though it's not going to happen Not ignoring it. Is anyone here a fan of surprises? (laughs) Tentative fans. It's like, it depends if it's good or bad. Can I find out first what the surprise is and then I'll let you know whether I'm happy about it or not, right? That's very much me. Um, Well, you know, Paul says here that we should know enough to keep an eye out. Jesus return we know enough to not be caught by surprise we should actually be actively looking for it not asleep at the wheel it shouldn't take us by surprise September 21st 1938 um, was labeled uh, in the New England of America (laughs) the great New England hurricane apparently without warning a powerful category three hurricane slams into Long Island. It caused 600 deaths, devastated the coastal cities and towns. It was the most destructive storm to strike the region in the 20th century. And there was this guy, Charlie Pierce, a junior forecaster in the US Weather Bureau, and he was sure that the hurricane was headed for the northeast, but everyone around him was more experienced. And they said, oh no, that can't happen. That hasn't happened in 100 years. It's not going to happen because usually it'll die itself out when it hits the cold waters. But this was actually tracking really fast and following the warm waters of the Gulf. Nothing was stopping it. This one junior guy who was actually watching for it could see it coming and wasn't believed. And so the hurricane, without warning, hit Long Island. Uh, at two o'clock in the afternoon. So we've got fishermen out, we've got people enjoying boats recreationally, we've got people sitting by their beachside porches when the wind picks up and the storm builds. And they are going about their ordinary lives and this one person who was keeping watch for them wasn't believed. Around 2.30, full force makes landfall, also at high tide. So surges of ocean water and waves 12 meters high swallow the coastal homes. Winds exceed 160 kilometers per hour, 600 lives taken because no one was watching. That's the way we are sometimes. We can be unaware because we insist on looking at the situation from a fixed perspective. Hurricanes don't happen here, that's it. Paul says, while people are saying peace and safety, peace and safety happens here, we're Australian. Peace and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly. How many people have looked at their lives one day and realized that an addiction had them in their grasp all of a sudden? Right? Or a relationship had eroded to a point of crisis. And then they realize the small things we know it's true from our own experience that we can be asleep at the wheel of our own lives and events can take us by surprise that should not take us by surprise if we were awake and alert and watching so Paul is saying here don't snooze in your spiritual life because it'll cost you let's not sleepwalk through life he says like those others Let's keep our eyes open and be smart. So we need to be awake, but also we need to be smart. The NIV uses the word sober. This passage goes on to say, walk out into the daylight sober, dressed up in faith, love, and the hope of salvation. So let's deal with this word sober first. In the Greek, it actually means calm, collected spirit, temperate, composed, fair-minded, circumspect, I love that. But how do we do it? Again, Paul sees the, an- seeds the answer for us. Notice how he speaks out about identity right at the get-go. He says in verse 5, You are sons of light and daughters of the day. You can just stop right there. Yeah. Just take a big, deep breath. Because that is awesome. You are sons of light. What does God think about you? You are sons of light and daughters of the day. That is to say that you are not your pain, You are not your past, you are not your guilt, you are not your shame, you are not your family of origin, you are not your dysfunction, you are not your overeating tendencies, you are who? Sons of the light, daughters of the day. Lift your head, you have an identity. And when the enemy can get us to identify ourselves instead as our mistakes or anything other than this... He can keep us crippled in a loop and a downward spiral of disorder that takes our eyes off salvation, erodes our confidence and puts us asleep at the wheel. But when we hold on and stop for a second and say, "Mm, I am who God says I am, it flips the script and it changes the game. And then it's like, bring on the hurricane. I know who I am. I see it coming. I make my preparations. I step out into my day knowing who I am. The world needs people who know who they are. It goes on to say, since we're creatures of the day, let's act like it. Okay. Your daily activity should come from your new identity. What you choose to do tomorrow, what you choose to do with the precious minutes and the hours that you get living this life of faith should come from your brand new identity. John MacArthur says, God has chosen not to reveal the specific time of end time events so that all believers will live in constant anticipation of them. Well, there was a time in my life that I would have read that statement and said, yep, I am terrified. I'm terrified of Jesus coming back. But when I said that, I didn't understand my identity. I didn't understand that I didn't have to live slumped over in fear that the sky will fall in any minute and God will judge me for every mistake I've ever made. Verse eight says, we live under wide open skies and we know where we stand. Do you know where you stand? If you are a son of light, a daughter of the day, we do not need to be burdened by the idea of Jesus coming again because we know where we stand. Let me help you remind you. Isaiah 43:1 says, "But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, he who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine." End of sentence. That is done. We are called upon to live differently, sure but because we get to live as we belong to him. We do not engage in the things of darkness. We engage in what Jesus engages in. We have, because we have this brand new resurrection life that he has sprouted inside of you the day, the very day that you gave your life to Jesus. So now you are not what you feel. You are not what you feel, You are what God says about you, and that's a daughter of the day and a son of the light. You are a new nature. You have a new story. We have a new future, and it was bought for us when Jesus died on the cross. It is our identity, even when we fall short of it in actuality. That's the grace of the cross because where we fall short, Jesus covers our sins and our identity remains secure. We should always seek to align our actions to that identity because that gives us authenticity. That's where we grow. That's where we flourish. But if you fall short, your identity is secure. So in order to live in the light of the return of Jesus, we are sober, we're living in line with our identity, and we are dressed up. In faith, love, and the hope of salvation. You know, we prepare for our day before we leave the house, right? You dress yourself, you brush your hair, you brush your teeth, you hopefully put on deodorant. Um, Why would you not think about what's going on inside your heart as part of that preparation? Why would you not want to take some time to ground yourself with a scripture verse? Why would you not want to take some time to listen to a worship song and get some positive going on inside of you? Why would you not want to speak some truth over you? To speak some truth over your family? To speak some faith over your day? Put it on. It is so important that you give some thought to what you do before you go out there and meet whatever comes at you. Your pregame matters. Dress in faith and love because you're a creature of the day. Put on your identity. What does it mean to put it on? You know, those things aren't going to be natively there. You've got to keep putting them there. They're going to fall off. (laughs) You've got to put them there. You slip back into rage. Oh, my goodness, what am I wearing? This is inappropriate. (laughs) Let me just quickly go change and put on some love and put on some hope. You're a son of the light. You're a daughter of the day. You need to put some hope on. You need to put some faith on. You need to put some love on. And we need to strap on the hope of salvation. The helmet of salvation, as the NIV puts it. For believers, the battlefield often takes place in the mind, right? Satan will fire assaults of doubts and try to make you believe lies. He will try to erode your identity because it's your most powerful uh, weapon of hope. We need to protect our mind and sometimes we're going to be so absorbed in business or the task or our opinion or whatever and our mind is no longer sober. It's no longer fair-minded, no longer calm and collected. So we must live with the right perspective, the right worldview. Don't allow the worries and business of this world to choke out your passion for Christ or your identity in him or your expectation that you're going to meet him any minute. Do not allow the worldly wisdom of your peers to influence the decisions that we make or our life direction. Look at the culture around you with discernment. Do not go complacent in your Christian life. You know, to wear the helmet of salvation means to live with a focus on eternity and the promised future that we have. And that changes the way we live today. Because if we know who we are, and we know that we are safe and secure in Him, then we do not fear meeting Him. And doesn't that give us a hope and a confidence that we can live from that feels like wide open skies rather than a storm brewing on the horizon that we dread coming our way? Verse 9, God didn't set us up for angry rejection, but for salvation by our Master Jesus Christ. He died for us a death that triggers life you don't yet know that confidence and hope, if you don't know that you could be called a son of light or a daughter of the day, can I actually just take a minute to invite you? to know that confidence, to have that hope that if Jesus were to return tomorrow or you would go to meet him, that you would recognize him and that you would receive his salvation rather than his judgment. So can I just get everyone to close their eyes and bow their head just for privacy? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I would love for you to just raise your hands for me and say, yes, I want that confidence. I want to know that I have Jesus' salvation. Just raise your hands right now. Thank you. Thank you, God. All right, let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. I believe you died for my sins. Right now, I turn from my sins. I open the door of my heart. I confess you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Amen. Can we just congratulate this couple of people this morning? I know heaven is doing a dance about that. Andrew.
0: Hey again. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to
1: thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.